For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have back with us the senator from Alabama, Senator Doug Jones. Senator Jones, welcome back to Make It Plain. First of all, let me ask how you and your loved ones are faring in this pandemic. I hope everyone's healthy and safe. Yes, you know, so far so good. We've got uh, two boys are at home. One finished college. He's at home working. One's been working there. And Louise has been staying home most of the time in Birmingham while I've been here and back and forth to Washington, D.C. It's been tough on my mom. She's in an assisted living facility. We've not really been able to interact with her except uh, by telephone over the last uh, couple of months. So that's been kind of tough. But all, overall, all good. We're just trying to do everything, our part to stay safe and healthy. You know, I, I have a couple of loved ones in assisted living, and it's, it's a mixed bag because you can't see them. But those who are already in before this started, sometimes they're in a safer place because they're not out mingling. So we'll pray for your mom and, and hope she stays well. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. So uh, there's a story out. Uh, is it confirmed that there's some students in Tuscaloosa um, who've been playing this game and having gatherings to see who can get COVID the fastest? Is, is that real? You know, I, I have seen the reports. I have not tried to follow up on that, but I've seen the reports and I have to believe from what I'm hearing uh, that it's probably true. Uh, it's just stunning that, you know, these young folks who, who, who just think really it's all about them and no one else. And they don't understand that, yeah, they might get the uh, 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 virus. Uh, it may not be a big deal to them. Uh, then again, it might if you're seeing what's going on these days. But they can give it to so many people, including folks they have no clue that might have a pre-existing condition, an elderly person. That's what's just really stunning. So, yeah, uh, I, it's just bad. The we also know that I know uh, a few days ago I think you had even tweeted that Alabama's numbers are going up. So this this makes this doubly perilous, doesn't it? Well, it does. And, and what you're seeing across the country and in Alabama as well, the numbers are going up because the numbers of uh, 
young people that are get, getting this virus are going up. And that just, you know, continues to get us all at risk for community spread. We're seeing it in Alabama. We're seeing it across the country. So we, we just got to do a better job of getting the message out there. And these young people have to understand that this is a not just a personal responsibility for them, but it's the, really their community and the people that they care about that they're, they're putting at risk. Yeah. Um, it also has set us back that the national leadership, the White House, even your colleague in the Senate, um, now they're just coming out this week all of a sudden right. saying, let's wear masks. Right. But that's almost a, a day. I mean, I'm glad they're saying it now, but considering the, the United States reached 50,000 cases in one day for the first time this week. I mean, that is a very late message. They should have been saying this all along. Absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, if if the we had opened up with the messages from leadership in this in this country with a, a safer at home kind of message that says, don't go out unless you just need to. But when you go out, social distance, wear the mask and lead by example. And what was really interesting, Mark, this week, you could just you just know that Republican talking points had been distributed to everybody because all of a sudden the leadership, Republican leadership was talking about it on the Senate floor, talking about it on the House floor, talking about it, you know, uh, in the media. And so that distribution of talking points went out and we're about six weeks too late for those talking points. Better late than never, of course, because we do have the 4th of July coming up. We do want to open up schools in August and, and then we've got uh, Labor Day coming up. So better late than never, but oh God, that seems to be the pattern for this administration to be late to the, you know, the late to the game to try to figure out how to best deflate the curve and save lives. Yeah. Um, in that vein, too, um, you've made the case that there needs to be more aid, um, more supplemental income sent to families and workers. Um, right. We have the job numbers out today. Um, millions more uh, filing unemployment. I think we're over 11% now, about 11.1%. And you've also um, stepped out in front on aid to schools, because that's another concern. We really don't even know what our schools are going to do, do we? No, we really don't. In Alabama the other day, our state school superintendent issued a report and a plan. And he, he stated that, you know, they're going to try to do more virtual. They're going to do all of those things, but it's going to probably cost each school district on average of about $1.8 million. Well, my, our school districts can't really afford that. So I think the federal government needs to get step up and help these uh, school systems. We want them to open. I think if we delay school system, it is going to put our kids in even greater peril. But we got to do it safely because when you have schools open, you not only have kids coming into the classrooms, which puts them and their teachers and their faculty at risk, but you're also going to have activities where parents are going to be there. So we've just got to be smart about this. And we need to give the schools the resources they need to be able to do it the right way. I think that's one of the problems that we've got right now with these soaring cases is that we started opening up and we just didn't really open it up the right way with the right messages about how important it is to wear masks and to social distance. So specifically, where is is Alabama right now? Because I think the governor has reinstituted safer at home and all of that, if I'm not mistaken. Where is Yes, you know, the governor did, I think, a pretty good job back in May. She did, you know, she, we reopened things in phases, and the last order was what she called a safer at home. 
uh, where, uh, you know, she had folks opening up, but they limited the number of people at restaurants and, and in retail establishments. Uh, and she's encouraged people to wear masks. She's encouraged people to social distance. So what we're seeing now, though, is that people didn't get that latter part of that message. Yeah. And so we're seeing this surge. We've seen uh, the statistics I saw the other day is that in the, the last 14 days, 28% uh, of all confirmed cases have been confirmed in the last 14 days. And that's, a, that's not a good figure. So she extended her safer at home order until the end of uh, July. We'll see how it goes. We're trying to encourage people to have a safe and healthy 4th of July. Do some things, you know, uh, but please be safe when you're doing it. What are your thoughts, um, Senator, about the, the racial reckoning that is taking place in America and, and you being one um, who's always been a part of that struggle anyway, um, having um, prosecuted the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, among others. What are your thoughts about the racial reckoning that's taking place? Mark, I think we're in a historic time and we cannot let this moment pass. I mean, you know, look, the pandemic really started putting a spotlight on the racial inequities in this country. We've all known that they've existed in healthcare and economics and jobs and education. Um, but then, and, and in law enforcement and the just justice system, we've known they've existed, but I think the pandemic really put a spotlight on those. And then with the George Floyd death, it really became a moment. And it's a moment that I think America has, has, is looking to leadership to try to get something done. I think this moment is as important as the moments we saw in 1963 with the fire hoses and the dogs in Birmingham and the church bombing, uh, uh, that happened in 1963. The Selma Bridge beatings, you know, John Lewis and Amelia Boynton. I think we're in those historic moments where the country as a whole, regardless of how old you are, regardless of your gender, regardless of your religion, regardless of your race, everybody is recognizing now that we are, we should be a better America than we are. And we've got to do everything that we can to not let this moment pass. You hail from Alabama. Is our residents in your state adjusting to the calls to remove Confederate statues, or is there still more of a of a learning and tolerance curve that needs to happen? No, kind of I, I think I think the state as a whole is, is coming to grips with all of that. Um, you know, there still are going to be those pockets of resistance. There's no question about that. That's but that's not just going to be in Alabama. That's going to be around the country. Remember. There's Confederate monuments in 31 states. We didn't have that many states in the Confederacy, but there are monuments that, out there like that. So folks, I think, are now beginning to see, you're seeing it from one end of the state to the other, from Mobile to Huntsville and in, in these areas that have resisted that change. Now they're looking at where they can possibly move those to some historic places uh, to, to at least memorialize those who lost their lives but not glorify the Confederacy or the generals or anything like that. And I think that's an important key. But I keep telling folks, too, it is really important. I don't think I don't want to minimize the importance of reckon, uh, you know, reckoning with uh, the Confederate monuments and the names. But I also think it's important to remember that those are just blocks of stone. At the end of the day, they're just a name on a on a military base. or they're a name on a ship. They're a name on a street and they're blocks of stone. What we've really got to do is start bringing down the barriers to, uh, th that keep people from having the equality in this country. So we can't get distracted 
with with these. I think it's an important movement, no question about it. But I also want, don't want to lose sight of trying to make sure we remove the barriers for jobs, healthcare, all of those things that we've seen so far. And now we know that we've got to do something about. I want to come back to that in a minute, but, but just one more thing on the, the Confederacy. Are, do you support Senator Warren's legislation to change the names of some of the military bases as well? Absolutely. I, I think it, it, it is just wrong that uh, United States military bases may be named after Confederate generals who took up arms against the United States military. That just is counterintuitive. It makes no sense. Um, and I ended up being a co-sponsor of the amendment. I think it was a good one. It passed a Republican-controlled Senate committee in a bipartisan vote uh, in a bipartisan way. And I think it's going to stay in the NDAA pretty much as it is. There's some efforts to, to kind of change that and water it down. I hope those completely fail. I completely support uh, the amendment uh, as written with a commission because it gives like a three years and some studies. And it gets local people involved to let them help rename. Good, good. So in terms of some of those other tangible things, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, uh, Senator Jones, first there's policing. And yeah. uh, our friend Mitch McConnell uh, didn't handle that too well for us, did he? No, he didn't. I mean, look, he, he, he but that's typical of Senator McConnell. He wants to take a, a more of a political vote than try to really get something done. There are people on both sides of the aisle that believe this needs to move forward. You know, Senator Scott's bill, it was not an adequate bill, and it did not have bipartisan support. And Senator McConnell knew it was going to, to, to fail. Now, I voted to proceed with debate. I've been, you know, I've seen a lot of things on social media where I said I voted for the bill. I didn't vote for that bill. I'm actually a co-sponsor of Senator Harris and Senator Booker's bill. But I thought it, from my perspective, we ought to debate it. Get it on the floor of the Senate. Try to make it better if we can. If, if, if Senator McConnell wouldn't let that happen, which he probably wouldn't, then shame on him and let's bring that out in the light of the American, to the American public. But we really need to do something. I'm hoping when we get back from July 4th that people will have come out of those partisan corners that Senator McConnell created last week. And let's, and let's really talk about what we can do because I do think there's a lot of common ground that we can find. You also mentioned health care. Um, you um, are raising that question, if I'm not mistaken, even in your own state in terms of expansion, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Senate, you know, the House passed a health care expansion bill the other day that included uh, the same act, which is my states achieving Medicaid expansion. We need to give states like Alabama another opportunity to expand Medicaid. Before this pandemic, if Alabama had expanded Medicaid, we would have had some 300,000 people that would have health insurance going into this crisis, going into it. Now we've had people losing their jobs, losing their employer-sponsored plans. I don't know the numbers that it would increase to now, but I bet it's almost double that. And the federal government's putting this money in there anyway. We need to give the states incentives to expand Medicaid and make this a little bit more concrete, bring those federal dollars in, and give these give folks across the board better health care. Um, if I'm not mistaken, too, aren't you a co-sponsor of Senator Booker's reparations bill? Am I yeah, right? I don't know if I'm a co-sponsor. I know I've supported it. It is the, the, the bill that calls for the study and the commission. Um, and I think we've got to do that, especially now with everything going on. I mean, I think there's a little bit more uh, that's going to be you know, front and center. Uh, but I, 
we've sponsored so many bills, we've written so many letters. I know that I've actively stated that I support that. I don't know if I'm an actual co-sponsor or not yet. Okay. Um, you, what are, what are your thoughts about the argument of defunding the police? And as we know that to mean uh, redirecting funds in other areas um, for citizens to get help and support and not just expecting the police to address some things they really aren't qualified to address. Yeah, you know, Mark, the, the pro here's the problem. is okay. if We have come to know it that way, but when you, when, when you talk to the public and you use the word de defund, that only has one meaning, and that is take away all their money. When you talk about, you say the word disband, it means take away all the, and I don't think anybody really is talking about that. Our law enforcement serves a very important public safety function. But I do think that we can transform law enforcement a little bit and get them back to what they're supposed to be doing. So I think everybody across this country is going to be looking at how we can best have law enforcement protect our public and use the uh, funds in the, in the appropriate way for social services and for other things. You know, everywhere I go in Alabama, everywhere I go before this pandemic and in the Teletown halls uh, that I've had since, mental health is a very, very important function. And unfortunately, you know, we use our criminal justice system and law enforcement far too much uh, for mental health, um, try to control mental health. We right. can't do that. So we've got to really look carefully at that. But I do wish people would change the narrative a little bit because I think it hurts the cause when all you hear uh, is disband or defund because that's not really what people are talking about. And I know that, but for a lot of folks in the country that are not studying this issue, they may not know that. And they go, you know, it, it plays into the hands of folks that I, I think are doing it, you know, trying to use it for political purposes for their own benefit. I see. Um, yeah, and, and some of that, as we know, is coming from um, the other side. We're seeing um, the rise in a lot of these hate groups, uh, advertisers boycotting Facebook because they have been resistant um, up until probably about 24 hours ago of taking some of these hate groups down. You even tweeted about Trump's tweet of someone saying white power. Yeah, and no, it's appalling. Uh, absolutely appalling that the president of the United States, who prides himself in knowing everything, every message he sends out, uh, would do something like that. That is stoking the divisions in this country. And we need folks at the very top of leadership in the, the federal government and in every state in the union trying to be healing the wounds that we've got right now. We've got a lot of them right now. And we need the healers. We need people bringing folks together, not stoking that, that division like uh, that tweet did. Yeah, no, it, it is very dangerous. Um, but I'm going to tell you, Senator Jones, with everything else, with tweets like that, with the poor response to this pandemic, we now know that he was aware of Russian bounties on our troops. And to me, you know, he, he attacked Colin Kaepernick. He said Colin Kaepernick was disrespecting the troops. You and I know he wasn't. But what's more disrespectful than abiding Russian bounties on U.S. troops? It seems to me that some of your folk, even in your state, uh, who might be on the fence, Democrat or Republican, it just seems to me that's going to be a deal breaker. 
Well, I think it's a very, very disturbing, but it's part of a trend. It is, it is the culmination of a disturbing trend about the administration's treatment of Vladimir Putin and Russia. I mean, you know, uh, no one should think that Russia is our friend. They are not. They are an adversary who would like nothing more than to dominate the United States and everyone else. And we have to be very, very careful. I have been, I have been so surprised and I've watched um, how this administration continues to just, to, to just overlook, play down whatever it is with regard to elections. And the most recent is very disturbing. And you know, we, we've had some, uh, I had a classified briefing on this yesterday, so I can't go into any details, but th here's what I'd like to focus on. And this, this is the most telling part about this. Whether, whether the people in, in America believe that the intelligence was credible or rose to the credibility of the president and should have done something, at a very minimum, when this became public, the president of the United States should have said, you know what, if he didn't get briefed, he should have said, I did not get briefed on this, but doggone it, I'm going to get briefed on it because this is really serious and I want to take it. And even if there is a slight credibility to it, I want to take somebody to the woodshed about this. I want to make sure that people understand around the world this is an unacceptable behavior uh, toward the United States of America, and we are not going to tolerate it. And you didn't hear any of that. No. He's calling it a hoax, another fake news. He's calling it a, a, another hoax. Anything that challenges, it's all a hoax. The, the, the COVID crisis was a hoax to begin with. Everything is hoax. It's just, I, I got no words, Mark, got no words. This is a fairly new story, and I, and I know you're headed home, but have you gotten a sense of, of what some Alabama voters think about the Russian bounty story? Have you been hearing things? No, I, you know, I had a town hall the other day, and uh, we, we've been doing a lot of telephone kind of town halls. They've been wonderful. Um, and and this, this particular area was a really conservative uh, area that went, voted heavily for uh, President Trump the other day uh, or the last time. And uh, he'll carry it this time. But, you know, one of the questions was just that. It was, uh, it was you could tell um, that this, this was a person who was very concerned about the way the United States is looking toward Russia right now and not taking action. She asked me specifically and what I thought, and I thought that was just a telling sign that out of the, the questions I was able to get to, and I only had time for maybe 15 or 20 questions, one of them was about Russia and the concern. So I, I, I can't, I've not done a poll, but I just know my state, and I know my state is a very patriotic state, and they've always been leery of Russia and China and others. And they've got to be, people have got to be very concerned about what they're saying. Remember how many military folks we've got in Alabama as well. Yeah. And veterans. Remember how you, you know that military families and veterans are looking at this going, what in the world is going on? Yeah. yeah. And that's the paradox of him running around defending the Confederacy. Exactly. And, and not defending our troops today. As a matter of fact, you know what, Senator Jones, we're talking about this. If we look at the timeline, he got loudest about the Confederacy um, around the time he may have been made aware of what Russia was doing. So you got to watch him. You know, it, it may not be the principle and ideology of the Confederacy and the statues, but him trying to cover himself. Oh, no, I'm for our military. I'm for our Confederacy because he knew this story might have been coming out. I don't know. I, I don't either. But I know that uh, I, I know the president is very good at distractions. Yeah. Yes. 
how's your race shaping up? Thanks for asking. I think it's doing really well. Of course, we could use all the help we can get. Uh, we know it's going to be a tough race, but I feel very, very good about where we're positioned uh, in this race. You know, we've spent the last two and a half years really doing the things for the people of Alabama that I said I would do. An advocate for health care, an advocate for our underserved communities, an advocate for education, for military where I sit on armed services, right. and for veterans. And we've accomplished so much. You know, I've had 17 bills that have been signed into law in my two and a half years. And I am I think that's a pretty strong record for a, a freshman United States senator. Sure. And so people are recognizing that. They're seeing it. We really stepped up our game during this pandemic. Uh, we've been getting uh, messages out there. We've been doing a lot of outreach to folks to make sure that we're listening to them and understanding their problems. So we feel very good. I won't have an opponent for about another 10 days or so. Uh, but we're ready to go. We're ready to roll, and uh, I'm looking forward to a spirited campaign. Does the infighting, or some of the infighting on the other side, you got Tuberville and Sessions, does that advantage you um, that Republicans are going against one another at the moment? And if you had a choice, which one of those <laughs> opponents would you prefer to face? You went to You went to Alabama, right? Yeah, I went to Alabama, but I, you know, I got to tell you, as a U.S. Senator, I am very bipartisan these days when it comes to college athletics. So, okay. um, you're not going to get me into that trap, okay? Okay, um, fair enough. But, you know, look, I, I, I'm not going to get into that primary with preferences or whatever. We're going to be ready to go with what we do. And I think the issue is not going to be whether or not they're cutting each other up right now and beating each other up, which they are. I, I think it's going to come down to a question of, of leadership. Uh, and how people view leadership and what they want to see in a senator going forward um, and how that senator has their back. And I think that's the biggest difference between me and or my, either of the, my two potential opponents. I think the people of Alabama, by the time we get there, I think they're seeing it now that I've got their back and no one else's. I've got a TV ad to that effect. And what we're seeing right now is, is a, a Republican primary that wants to do nothing except uh, support Donald Trump, regardless of what he may be doing. So we've got a, a lot of questions for them, uh, whoever ends up on top, about how they feel about this Russian uh, uh, issues, how they feel about the way he's handled this pandemic, uh, and the fact that he's not done the things necessary, and we haven't had the distribution chains. There are a lot of questions that people who have said nothing but, uh, you know, I'm a Donald Trump fan and I'm going to support him regardless. You're going to have a lot of questions answered between now and November. Um, can I put you on the spot just a little bit? Who should Joe Biden pick for vice president? <laughs> Do you agree with the with the cases being made that he should seriously consider an African-American woman? Well, I think he has to consider an African-American woman just like he considers a woman that is going to be qualified to be president should uh, that necessary arrive. I think he needs to uh, uh, pick someone who is very compatible with him and his administration, that it's going to support that administration. Uh, I'm not going to put a checklist on a race. Uh, I was very happy that uh, Joe uh, uh, early on said, I feel like it's time I'm going to pick a female. I think beyond that, you got to go through the traditional uh, picks uh, of, of, of how you bet a vice presidential uh, candidate, how they are compatible with you. And he's got a pretty good record to build on. I mean, if, if, if we had a female Joe Biden out there for him, that Joe Biden that he was to Barack Obama, that's who we would pick. So 
I think the bar is kind of high, and it's kind of high both on a professional level um, uh, and a personal level for him because he's got to have somebody. He had that relationship with Barack Obama, and that's that is really really important. So uh, I'm not I can't handicap the race. All I know is he's going to pick somebody. And it's going to be a female. Um, lastly, we could use um, better systems for mail-in balloting. Uh, I know you've been an advocate for that as well. Where is that legislation on the Hill? Because there was some money that was supposed to be freed up, needs to be freed up for states to really implement mail-in balloting like they like they should. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I'm going to just be candid about it. I, I, I'm not as optimistic about that legislation as my colleagues are. I just don't think that this administration or the Republicans in, in the Congress have any appetite to try to make it easier for people to vote. They believe for whatever reason, it's not to their benefit uh, if that happens. I, I don't think the statistics bear that out one way or another, but I would like to see, um, uh, especially during this pandemic, we've got to try to make people feel safe uh, so that they can stay. And it's not just the people going to the polls, it's the people working at the polls. Right. You know, we've got an awful lot to deal with. And so I, I think uh, mail-in ballots would be good. Uh, you, in a state like Alabama, it's very restrictive. I'd like to loosen that up as much as we can. The other thing that we don't have in Alabama that I have been trying to, to talk about for a long time, we don't even have early voting in Alabama. If we had early voting in Alabama and you could, you could spread those crowds out, we could get more people out to the polls. They would feel more comfortable knowing that they're not going to have to stand in line for an hour or more, you know, within a, feet, a couple of feet of each other. Um, we need, there's so many, many things we can do. I don't think my state uh, has got any appetite for it. I'm not hearing that from the Secretary of State or any of the, the Republican leaders in Alabama, and I'm certainly not hearing it for anybody in the uh, uh, Congress on the other side of the aisle. Folks, that is why it is more urgent than ever that we organize for Doug Jones. We make sure we get out the vote for Doug Jones. Uh, make no mistake about it. It was um, largely the African-American community uh, that made the difference in his first win. Um, that makes me feel hopeful and optimistic. Um, and so we've got to do the same thing again. Um, I'm sorry to hear that appetite isn't there. But in that it is not yet, uh, folks, we've got to spread the word. We've got to get out the vote um, because the Democrats have a real chance to, to control the Senate. Um, uh, Senator Jones, if, if you if you hold your seat. We've got to hold uh, what we've got for sure. I mean, and, and I think the challenge in, in states like Alabama and some of the other states where you do have the presidential race, they don't think their vote really counts because all they look at is the presidential vote. and. And, and clearly, President Trump will carry Alabama, but you got to look at those down ballot races like mine, which is right below the president's race, um, that votes can make a difference. We had 1.3 million votes in Alabama cast in my race in 2017. It was a pretty high turnout for a special election. Right. And I won, I won by only about 23,000 votes. And mm -hmm. so, you know, every vote makes a difference. And so, regardless, I'm, I, I want to do everything we can to get as many people out to vote uh, as possible. I'm sorry, I'd be remiss. One more question if I didn't ask this. You are a former U.S. attorney. Um, your thoughts on Bill Barr and the Justice Department and, and what's going on over there? It is, it is appalling. I mean, you know, Mark, I, 
I've taken a lot of hits because I voted to confirm Barr. And I really, truly believed at the time with the information I had that he would be a, a, an independent voice. He's a former attorney general. Uh, I thought he would be that independent and stabilizing voice coming off of, of, uh, of a disastrous uh, regime, uh, you know, administration with Jeff Sessions. Uh, he has been anything but that. He has shown, in my view, that he is nothing but the lawyer for uh, Donald Trump, not even for the president, but for Donald Trump. And that is unfortunate. I am very concerned about the Justice Department. It is not what I, I think people have signed up to, to, to work for. And we've, we've just got to see some changes made because the political influence right now is stunning. Uh, and it, it should never happen that way. So I've been asked often, you know what, if you've got any regrets, and I always point to, to the bar vote, it wouldn't have made a difference. Uh, my vote, changing my vote would have not have made a difference, but it's still one I wish I could go back and change. Indeed, indeed. Senator Doug Jones from Alabama. Good luck, sir. This won't be the last time we talk, I'm sure. We're going to continue to beat the drum, folks. Support Doug Jones in Alabama where you have friends and relatives, extended family in Alabama, let them know to be sure to vote for Doug Jones. We need to get everybody out. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, right. take care. All right, man, good to see you, man. Be you safe too, at home. All right, love to the family. Okay. You got it, thanks. Bye-bye. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.